Today, on Commitment to Truth. So if we're showing partiality among us as a church, we're causing sin to exist in our midst. And it hurts people. When people are not included, when people are not relationally pursued. It says if you want to have friends, you must first what? Present yourself friendly. It, it should be back and forth, back and forth, back. We're in pursuit of each other, not just sitting around waiting for someone to come up to you and say hi. But this text is talking to everyone who believes. And everyone believe, who believes should be exercising this or not exercising partiality because it's sin. Sin hurts people. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. So James chapter 1, as a quick review, uh, describes our most important life role. And, and this is what it says. A bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, if you get nothing out of this sermon series, uh, get this. It's that as we become bonded with Christ through his finished work, the less we would drift. When we connect and are fully committed to him and we're bonded to Christ, we will not have the propensity to drift and bond with other people and other things. Make sense? Uh, the more we disconnect from Christ, the more we're going to connect with someone else. The more we disconnect with Christ, the more we connect with other things and other things that would distract us from the person of Jesus Christ. So, if we are bond servants of Christ, here's the wonderful promise, is that he will equip each one of us not to drift. We will be fully equipped to uh, live righteously and do good deeds as the scriptures promise, is that he gives us everything according to righteousness, you could say your vertical relationship with the Lord, and, and good deeds, everything that he's commanded us to do here on this earth. Vertically, horizontally, right with him, right with others. His promise is as servants of Christ, he will give us everything that we need. But again, we have to bond with him so we won't bond with our flesh, bond with other, any other created thing. Makes sense so far. So that being said, our challenge today is this, is that we're going to un uncover and discover how partiality, being partial to other people, or being partial to a person or a group of people can also cause us to drift. The word partiality means this in the book of James. It's defined this way. To respect the person, the external condition of a man. In other words, that external condition of a man we respect mostly. Which causes us to discriminate, classify, favor, differentiate, and even victimize. In other words, when we prioritize someone other uh, someone over someone else, it ultimately creates a victim in another person. It, it hurts them. You ever been in a church, right? We call it cliques. You have a fond affection with a group of people over here. Then that person is, is kind of standing isolated like a kid on a playground. One thing that shouldn't happen is this. Even with our young people, young youth and children, a child or youth should never come to a church or especially this church and feel the same way they feel on the playground. Isolated, dejected, etc. An adult shouldn't come to this church, right, and feel the same way they felt as a kid growing up, right? 
being the outside, on the outside looking in. So there's this responsibility that we all hold as followers of Jesus Christ to not be partial to anyone. If you can't open your Bibles to James chapter 1. We're going to begin verses 9 through 11, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 2. But James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, gives us God's perspective of social positions. Because everything that I described, you, described to you as this external conditioning, uh, may draw to someone external condition and discrimin discrimination, and all these things that happen based upon how we feel towards another person, is all hinged upon one's social position. If you are a sports fan and your favorite athlete walks into the sanctuary, how would you act? Social position. They should be a sinner in need of a savior just like you and me. If the president of the United States, your, your favorite president, dead or alive, walks in this room Okay, because we don't want to divide, right? So whoever that person is, right, walks into this room, how do you respond? Do you say, oh, come sit up front? Do you bow out to him? Do you curse him? You know, you know, I don't know if ladies do that still today, right? You know, you know do, do you respond in a way that it's partial to that person? You see, the challenge all of us face is that we all have the propensity to show partiality. And that's why God warns us, is that we cannot show partiality, and it's normally based upon a social position. You can say it this way, what you can reciprocate towards me. You make me feel better, you make me comfortable, you give me a better business proposition, you help me in some unique way, therefore I will have a bent towards you than someone else who I can live without. The word position is this, it's one's social or positional height, it's an elevation or advancement, it is a special dignity we place on people, social or positional rank. This is what the scriptures are saying to you in a day. If anyone in your life fits this category and you have this, this bent towards them, be cautious. In James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, again, it says this. Now, the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, but the rich person is to glory in his humiliation. Because, like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises and, and rises with scorching and heat and withers in grass, and its flower fells, falls off, pardon me, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will die out. So here you find, again, in this positional ranking that we somehow fall, our, fall into and find ourselves in, even categories ourselves, you find here that there's two life positions that the text brings out. The first is this. There's people who are humble and low, and there are people who are rich and high. I mean, just that description tells you something, doesn't it? If you have nothing or have little, you're low. If you have a lot, 
you're what? High. The word humble means this. You are a lowly people, individuals of low degree and social positions. The word rich means this. Are, are the wealthy individuals abounding in material resources, right? I mean, think about it. Think about how we navigate this way. You look at social media. No one takes pictures of the room that you don't want people to go in. Hey, I'm having a vacation in my backyard. Who takes selfies of that? Hey, guess where I'm at today? I'm in a backyard. Well, maybe a few of you do. <laughs> right? But, but you, you hear what I'm saying? I mean, there's this, this inclination and this bent towards, oh, look at me based upon what I have, where I've been, where I'm going. Humble, low, rich, high. You see, if one is humble, this is what the scripture says. If you're low, we are to glory in our high position because that's how God views you. He doesn't view you based upon what you have or what you've gained. It doesn't impress God. You see, your, your position on the job, you know, your educational background, your personal accomplishments, and who you are in the world does not it doesn't cause God's heart to pitter-patter. It just doesn't. It doesn't at all. But then listen to what he goes on to describe. He says, we're to glory in this high position. We're to boast and brag in a good sense. Now granted, we know that no one's going to be like, oh, dang, guess what? I have no food to eat. But maybe it's this way. God, I know that we're struggling, we're in a season of struggling. But I, will, I won't do this, I won't complain, but I will, I will magnify you and glorify you because I know you are my provider. God, I know we're struggling month to month, we hit this hard season in our lives, but, but I'm not going to complain about what I don't have, but I'll thank you for what I do have and I wait with great expectations to see what you have and what you will bestow upon me. Different heart, different perspective. But then it goes on to say this, and if you're rich, you're high, we're the glory in your humiliation. Why is this so important? Because again, most of the time in social arenas, if you have a lot, everyone is falling all over you, everyone wants to get to know you, everyone's telling you how good you are, how wonderful you are, right? classifying you as being better than someone else, but yet the scripture says, no, glory in your humiliation. The word humiliation means this. Glory in your lowness, your low estate, your spiritual abasement, leading one to perceive and lament his moral littleness and guilt. In other words, God, I may have all of this, but I realize I'm nothing without you on the inside. I'm nothing without you on the inside. That's why Jesus in his, in his first sermon, right, to kind of, if you look at Matthew and the Gospels, when Jesus uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, it's literally an outline of the entire book. Everything that he begins to preach throughout the streets is found in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
In other words, blessed are the ones who understand that I am empty, I'm void, I'm meaningless, and have nothing apart from Jesus. So it doesn't say that one shouldn't have wealth. It doesn't say that you should feel bad that you have wealth. But it says, always keep it in perspective. And understand nothing belongs to you. You own nothing, even though you may be writing checks and spending on your debit card and, and you paying your, your mortgage. Understand that everything is the Lord, the earth and everything that it contains, which means he owns you and he owns everything about you. Right? So these are the two types of people that there's this humble and low. You don't have much, but God says, no, you're great. So don't you look down on yourself, nor should anyone around you look down on you, because this is what I think of you. And listen, and if you have great wealth, great success, and everybody is just going goo-goo mad over you, you need to keep it in perspective and understand that you're not bigger and badder and better and more resourceful than me. So always live in a place of total dependence of me. No matter how much you get, no matter how many people you employ, no matter how much power is assigned to you on this earth, never forget who's really the boss. Amen? Humble and low, rich and high. So how, we, how do we somehow navigate this drift of choosing one over the other? If you can now skip with me to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. To help us avoid this drift because of partiality, here's the first point. We can never become a people who show favoritism. We cannot show favoritism. Listen to verses 1 through 7. My brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in bright clothes, and a poor man is dirty, in dirty clothes and also comes in, and you pay attention or special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, listen. Listen, my beloved brother and sisters, did God not choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? We can never show favoritism at all. You see, listen to verse one. Again, my brothers and sisters, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. The words personal favoritism is this. It is to give judgment as respect of the outward circumstances of a man and not their intrinsic merits. And so prefer the worthier one who is rich, high-born, or powerful to another who does not have these qualities. You have a bent 
towards those who have and those who don't have. I don't really recall ever people warming up to the person who works on the assembly line with them. But you can rest assured if the manager comes by, what normally happens. So our challenge is to become men and women who understand, no, I cannot be so impressed with the appearance. So let's go back to my uh, sports analogy. So some of you know I had the privilege of playing professional sports or professional football. So I know guys who I play with and who are still more visible. And you know what they'll tell me? It's interesting, they all call me Pastor Brown now. So they say, Pastor Brown, you know, you know why I don't go to church? He says, because every time I go, they recognize me and it turns into an autograph session. It's wrong. Here are people who need Jesus. Just as bad as everyone in this room, they can't walk into a space because they want, they'll be recognized and it turns into an autograph session. So you may say, oh, that's so bad. So... Okay, uh, I, know, I know we are a very diverse uh, church, meaning we have some people who follow other sports teams. <laughs> but, <laughs> so so I, will, I, will, I will say this. So are you <sighs> New York, uh, Green Bay, uh, by marriage? Uh, <laughs> You know, dolphins, we got a diverse church, and cow something, you know, and, and you know, oh, Raven fans, you know, all, all these, but there's the primary team of Jesus, and it's the Eagles. So, <laughs> no, <laughs> so, but if you, but just think about, just, just stay with me, right? So let's say, well, whoever your favorite player is, again, walks through this room, how do you respond? Can they just come and just be here with us? Unhindered. Just because one thing I know is if someone has great wealth, they don't need you going up to their house and saying, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, oh, I can't believe it. Oh, look at your doorway. Oh, look at your door. You haven't seen a door before? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, it is, it is many times so embarrassing to people like that that there's even apprehension for, to even invite people over because it's like, oh, I don't know how they're going to respond. And it becomes extremely uncomfortable. There's people I know that can probably have so many zeros, but understand, there's sometimes their children don't even want to invite their friends over to the house because they're embarrassed of their wealth. Shouldn't be that way. Should not be that way in the church. Everyone needs Jesus. Everyone is a sinner and saved by grace. But then on the flip side, what we have is this, is that we have people who maybe again, that says, well, I don't have much. And then we become Debbie Downers. Well, you know, I'm just going to always be this way. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, they have more than me. Well, one thing is for sure. God knows us. 
one of the Ten Commandments, you know what it says? You shouldn't covet your neighbor's household. Why? Because he knows us. And the word covet, you know what it means? To be, to lack contentment in your status quo or not satisfied with what God has already given you. Or you could say it this way that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, is that enough for you? Then all these things will be added unto you. That's the tension in the church and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be based upon, I'm attracted to you based upon the way you look on the outside. Well, you know, you smell, so I run away from you. But their soul could be all out for Jesus. But you look good. As a matter of fact, I liked your car that you drove up in, and I like your shoes, and they got red soles, and all these different things, and so I want to get to know you because you're physically attractive to me, or there's this emotional opportunity that I have with you, but not with this other person. It's wrong. Absolutely wrong. Never forget that favoritism will always cause us to become overtly impressed with appearance. You look good. You seem to be nice on the outside. If you look at verses 2 and 3 a little deeper, it describes it this way. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and is dressed in bright clothes and a poor man in, in dirty clothes also command you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes the word special attention means this to gaze upon to gaze upon to look up to and to have regard for so you have something I want I'm coveting you I am what gazing at you and just wow and I'm looking up to you high And the tendency is, okay, that low person who, who, who doesn't cause me to gaze upon them, then we look down. Never forget, favoritism will always cause us to become judges. We will start inappropriately judging, thinking that that person, the way they look and act on the outside, they're okay. But yet their heart is so far away. And that's why you look at verses three through four decisively describes it this way. He says, and say, you sit here in, good, in a good place and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinction among yourselves and become judges? It says with evil motives. The words make distinction means this, to separate, discriminate, to prefer, to give judgment, to separate oneself in a hostile spirit to oppose or even to be contend, uh, contend against. And the word judges means this. It says it is an arbitrator to speak of a Roman procurator administering justice and of God passing judgment on man, on man. So literally we're sitting in a seat that's only reserved for God because God only knows what? The heart. And we don't. Oh, you're good, so you sit here. You're bad, so you sit here. 
you must have did something wrong. That's why you dress this way. That's why you don't have fancy clothes. That's why you're struggling as a family, right? That's why you only have two bedrooms and you need five bedrooms. And that's why you only have one bedroom. And, and you really, and we start passing judgment, passing judgment. Pass. Well, because they have this, they must be doing everything right. We're sitting in a seat that is only reserved for God. Listen, God gives and he takes away. And someone could be, listen, some of you know, you've been there with several zeros and on your paycheck, right? And you have seen how fast those zeros dissipate in certain seasons. Many emergencies have happened and it's like, oh dang, it comes low. Or bad judgment, bad investments. Oh wow, where did it go? He gives and he can take away. But one thing that is consistent that does not have ebbs and flows, you follow me, is the finished work of Jesus Christ in a soul, in the inward part of a man or a woman, that doesn't have ebbs and flows. He, when he saved and rescued you, it was one and done. It's not based upon what you have in your bank account or not in your account. So if, if that is more important, to God, what should we be laying eyes on? What should we be drawn to? What we should, should we be more attracted to? Not the outward appearance, right? But on the inside, and that's why Romans 2 and 11 summarizes this way. For there is no partiality with God. No is no. There's none. Or, let me say it this way. With God, there's no respect of the outward appearance of a person at all. Someone's position should never outshine the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's look at verse 8 now again, James chapter 2. It says, if however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you should love your neighbor as yourself and you are doing what? Well, so we can never, ever forget, second point, never forget unconditional love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever is who, whatever, believe in him should not perish but have, what, eternal life. So this whoever is the rich and it is also the poor. It's the high and it's the low. He died for everyone. So if he loves everyone unconditionally, therefore how should we do what? Love people what? Unconditionally, not hinged upon what they have or what they don't have. There should be this unconditional love that oozes out of our soul. So it, again, showing favoritism hinders us from loving unconditionally. And that's what we have to guard ourselves with and against is that, man, if I start having a bent towards this person, this group, this class of people, guess what? It's going to cause me to ultimately show favoritism that then would inhibit me from loving everyone as he is loved unconditionally. And that's why if you look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through, 30, uh, through 40, this royal law or this royal principle that Jesus reminds us there. Listen to what it says. This is when a lawyer and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and there was a lawyer among them, tried to entrap Jesus and test him. And this is what he asked. Verse 35 and 36. It says, teacher, which is the great command in the law? 
And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Every part of you. Every part of you. The material part of you and the immaterial part of you. Everything on the outside and guess what? Everything on the inside. So think about that from wealth. If I have great wealth, am I wearing what I'm wearing today to do what? Glorify him. Whoever thinks about that. Well, God, you know, I'm getting my hair cut today. I want a new hairstyle, I want a new color. Because I want to glorify you. I just want to look good, right? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with looking good, but looking good runs out. Hair grows out, color changes, hair falls out. Can't put the clothes that you, you know, that you bought to look good on the outside. Right, guys? I mean, ladies, I mean, it's, 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 you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart or your soul. That is everything you can't see. He wants it. But then he says, this is the great and foremost command, verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself upon these two commandments. The word hang means this, sum up the entire law and all the words of the prophet. In other words, everything that was ever written and everything that was ever prophetically spoken is hinged upon loving God and loving each other. If you want to get everything right in the word and everything that was spoken about the word and about God in Christ, love him and love other people as you want to be loved. So think about that for a minute. Someone who doesn't look like you, walk like you, talk like you, someone who rubs you the wrong way, someone that you're not like emotionally connected to and all these different things, um, gotta love them. Can't show favoritism. Or let me say it this way. Why are the same people invited to your house? Why on Sunday morning do you make a beeline to the people that make you feel good? You see, again, the worst thing can happen is we become like the playground that kid, our kids are growing up on and we grow up on ourselves. That you, you got the cool people sitting at one lunch table, you got the athletes sitting at the one table, you got the nerds over here. Then you got the other kids who don't know who they are. In the church, something's wrong with that. Why are the same people around your table are the same people you're having coffee with, that you're having breakfast with, that you're having lunch with, your dinner? Why is the, are the same people the one you're texting? Why is something wrong with that? It's nothing wrong with the person. It's something wrong with you. It's nothing wrong with that person. Because if the scriptures command us to love everyone, that means whom? Everyone. 
And if I'm having a tough time loving you and you're rubbing me the wrong way, it's not their fault, it's my fault. Should not be in the church. Should, yes, you're going to have a fond affection for someone, but what should always be in the frontals of your mind is, oh, who else can we invite? Up, oh, who else is feeling alone? Why does a single woman have to sit at home because all the couples saying, well, I don't think she'll be comfortable coming. Well, do you think it's worse for her to sit at home by herself or be around other couples to show, them, to show her how to love each other? Well, you know, he, he won't like being because, you know, he's not married, so only the married guys are going to go out and have fun. Well, how do they... How does this single brother who's desiring a wife going to learn how to love his wife as Christ loved the church if he's sitting at home by himself? It's wrong. It's wrong. And, and it's partiality. And it's not really saying, I'm loving you no matter if we hit on all cylinders, we got something to come in. Well, you know, only me and the mommies, we don't, you know, only have friends who have children because... All the other senior citizens, they don't like children. That's partiality. Force them to like the children. Just saying. <laughs> Seriously, sometimes it has to just be imposed. Just, hey, mother so-and-so, I'm here to say hi with all of my munchkins. I'm exaggerating, but serious. You follow me? It ha it, we, we somehow come in and create these little silos in the church. Well, you know, I'm divorced, you know, uh, so uh, all those married people may think I'm taboo. It's wrong. That's partiality. I just believe God knows us well enough that he takes us to this extreme, like the edge and the ledge, and say, okay, rich, poor, but there's a whole bunch of other garbage in between. So whole, in other words, you get this rich and poor thing down, then you're going to be able to handle all that other stuff, all the other narratives that pop up in the family of God. Make sense? Never forget how to love unconditionally because unconditional love, listen, is so difficult when you start playing favorites. Ask your children. Well, that child is easy to love. You rest assured, if you have multiple children, that's going to be one is like, dang, you like so hard to love. But you can't show favoritism. Can't show favoritism towards siblings, can't show favoritism towards parents, can't show favoritism anywhere. Again, I believe, again, with God and his wisdom, he's, he's bringing out this narrative to say, hey, because I know everybody get rich and poor. Everybody gets, I have and I don't have. Everybody gets that, right? But guess what? The same obedience that it takes to handle this is the same obedience that it ta takes to handle if you like this sister over this sister and this brother over this brother and this mom over this dad. Same principle, same heart condition. 
Loving someone is loving someone. Loving someone is the same love as you've known that person for 50 years in five minutes. It's the unconditional love of Jesus. Never show favoritism. Never forget to love unconditionally. And we should never forget showing partiality that I've just described. It's sin. Remember the word partiality? It's defined this way. To respect the person, the external condition of that man, to discriminate, classify, favor, differentiate, victimize, all based upon one's social position. You find these words in verse 9, if you read verses 9 to 13, it says, But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as violators. For whoever commits the whole law, keeps the whole law, yet stumbles in one point, has become guilty of all. So you could say, if, if I choose to love nine out of ten people because I didn't love the tenth one, it nullifies it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a violator of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. You find two key words in verse number uh, nine. Committing this is sin which means exercising it, performing sin, to cause sin to exist, or produce sin. So think about it. So whenever I am judging and being partial, I am performing sin. That's what it's saying. But then it also means this, that I am causing sin to exist. So if we're showing partiality among us as a church, we're causing sin to exist in our midst. And it hurts people. It hurts people. When people are not included, when people are not relationally pursued. Now remember, I'm not just talking about, just say, I say you, person A, just sitting there saying, pursue me, pursue me, pursue me. Pursue. No, person A must get out of their chair and work something out in their heart and do the same. It's reciprocal. It's not just for, okay, well, you know, I've only been here at the church for like, you know, one year, so I really don't know that many people. Nobody's come up to me. Stop it. Stop. It says if you want to have friends, you must first, what, present yourself friendly. It, it, it should be back and forth, back and forth, back. We're in pursuit of each other, not just sitting around waiting for someone to come up to you and say hi. Now, granted, our hope is at this church that you come in, you're identified maybe as someone we haven't seen, that there are people that know that you should be hospitable. Absolutely. But this text is talking to everyone who believes. And everyone believe, who believes should be exercising this or not exercising partiality because it's sin. It produces sin. 
And it hurts people. Sin hurts people. Sin here is defined this way, to miss the mark, to wander from the, the path of uprightness and honor. Sin is to do or to even go wrong. So you can be doing right, doing right, doing right, showing partiality, goes wrong. To wander from the law, sin is a violation of the divine law in thought or in act. And I need to express this because I'm the guy who the thought refers to. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You may be that person, you don't say much, but on the inside, you're saying it. You know, you're not the one who says what everyone's thinking, but you're thinking it. This speaks to me. It's like, no, in thought, Cedric, if you show partiality in thought, you're in sin. Well, I really don't like that dude because, you know, we measure, guys like me, we measure you up and we, dis here, we call it this, discernment. <laughs> Well, I discerned something about that person that it's not of God, right? And then we, well, I'm not going to get close to that person because I discerned that they're not with, come on, stop it. And God had to call me and put me in check. He said, what's your problem? I've given you discernment to be able to help that person. That's why I clued you in, not for you to separate from that person. And that's the way, it's like, He's telling me to love everybody, but because I discern that something's wrong with you, I'm not going to help you out of your wrong. What's wrong with that? But that's how twisted I was. So in thought and even the act, there's this responsibility to say, oh, I got to be cautious to not show partiality because even in my thoughts, I'm sinning against God. We cannot forget that partiality, if we show partiality, we're going to be judged. So if we're going to be judged, we probably, the best thing for us is probably correct it, start acting the right way. And that's why verse 12 and 13 is important. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. In other words, this word freedom means this, the liberty to do or admit things having no relationship to salvation. So in other words, so why are we being judge and jury against people and against stuff that has nothing to do with salvation? And that's what we do. I can't believe it, you know, well, she, you know, she's just a motor mouth. Well, I can't be around her because, you know, she just talks my head off. <laughs> Maybe she doesn't have friends and needs somebody to talk to. Right? Or maybe she needs a friend to get close enough to her to say, hey, do you know what the Bible says about talking too much? <laughs> it says be slow to speak and quick to listen. Maybe she needs a close friend to say that to her. Not just know that about her. It, it, we get so weird, man. And we have to become men and women who realize, no, the same way he's judging us, man, we got, we got, to, we got to realize we need to show some grace and some mercy because of the way he's treating us. We need to reciprocate that upon other people. 
He is tolerant towards us. Therefore, we have to be men and women who are tolerant towards others, right? And that's why it says, and speak and so act as those who are being judged. The word act means this, to be authors of a thing. We should be men and women who says, listen, God, right now, it's a little difficult for me to do this. But I will become an author of this. It's difficult. It's, it's a little, she's a little, he's a little rough around the edges and I'm a little uncomfortable, but, but I'll become an author of this. I'll be the one who will start writing the pages of this and how it should be reading. I will be not only this author, but I will be the cause and I will be the one who brings this about. That, to me, shows the grace of God in our lives. Is that, you know, you may not get it now, but you need to start getting it. Start putting it in motion. Start scribing it, right? Inscribing it on your heart. Start moving that direction. Start causing it. Start allowing it to happen rather than just sitting there and letting nothing happen. Because that's the way he's caring for us. Can you imagine if God judged us on every false move? You see, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we're free. Wouldn't we agree? We're free. He who the Son set free is what? Free indeed. He doesn't play cat mouse games. You're free. You're free. You're free. No matter how you're feeling, no matter what you're going through, no matter if it's good day, bad day, good season, bad season, you're free. And nothing is ever going to eradicate that. So our challenge then is since we're free, we also are also authors of this freedom because of his mercy. And this word mercy, and I end with this, is the kindness or the goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with the desire to help them. Do you realize rich and poor are miserable and afflicted? be the richest person on the face of the planet afflicted that's why rich you see rich people also commit suicide that's why you also see famous people commit suicide one of the strangest statistics is this you see so many comedians who spend their lives making everybody laugh so afflicted on the inside that they take their own lives Rich, poor, anyone in between. Our responsibility is to show mercy. Show mercy just as we have been shown mercy. Amen. Hello, this is Cedric Brown, your teacher on Commitment to Truth. I would like to personally thank you so much for tuning in week after week to listen here on this station. My prayer is that our time together is encouraging and strengthening you in your personal walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not going to assume that all of you know this Christ that I speak about week after week. And if you don't, and this is you, my prayer is that you are being inspired to know him personally through commitment to truth. But if you want to invite this Christ into your life right now, would you like to please pray with me? It's just a short prayer. It goes like this. Just say, Jesus, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner and I've sinned against you. But I believe that you came to die for me. 
You were buried for me and you rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and my risen Savior. And I surrender my life completely to you until I see you face to face. Jesus, would you, would you please empower me through your Holy Spirit to live the rest of my life for your glory and for the good of others. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you pray this prayer, or if you need help finding a local Christ-centered and Bible-teaching church, please email me at info at commitmenttotruth.org. Once again, that is info at commitmenttotruth.org. And lastly today, could you please do two things for me, all of you? Number one, could you spread the word about commitment to truth to your friends, your family, and even your enemies? We all could learn, right? And secondly, please email me at info at commitment to truth to let me know how this ministry is impacting your life. Once again, that is info at commitmenttotruth.org. I would love to hear from you. May God bless you and your family and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to our latest sermon series from Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.